Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar, and today I am with another special guest. Her name is TJ, and we are just going to have a very laid back and chill conversation about our cultural experiences. So I'm switching gears a little bit this week. Like I just wanted to have like the whole show is about conversation. So I just wanted to introduce you to a new type of conversation. So I'm going to give Miss TJ the floor so she can introduce herself to you as well and give you a little background. And then we are going to just talk to you today about life. Yes, awesome. Yes, my name is TJ Way. My pronouns are actually Z and Zer, so it's like the Z sound instead of the S and the H sound. And I am both a, a corporate IT professional in the project management space, and I actually coach on money habits for small business owners. So that's the other side of my business that it's kind of the, the passion project for me because I'm personally on track to retire by 40, and I learned it all for myself, and I wanted to share the knowledge with other people. Man, I want to retire like yesterday, like <laughs> like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. The whole like, I just think that it's the craziest thing in the world, and I think that more people in our, you know, um, generations and and yes. my generation are just kind of like the whole idea of working until you're almost like seventy, and then hanging on to that last little bit of life is just like the craziest thing that we've ever heard of like no not doing that not at all and (laughs) and the direction that like so many of us goes in is so crazy for our parents to understand that concept because that's all they know like so much of who they are is defined by work yes and we're like no so much of who i am is defined by so many other things and work Mm -hmm. is just a way for me to make money and live the way that i want to and that's pretty much it that kind of ties into what we're talking about too today like we're talking about cultural gaps and the differences between generations so cultural gaps generational gaps and all the commonalities between all of these different people that live on this melting pot called earth before i start sharing my experiences and things like that i wanted to ask you being an asian american um what are some common like cultural gaps that you feel like you've experienced with your family yeah so My parents were immigrants from Taiwan, um, but they're actually Chinese. So they escaped the Cultural Revolution in China um, and grew up in Taiwan and then then came to the U.S. for their master's degree. And then I was born here. Um, So they they're like their expectations as immigrants. And I find this with, with not just like Asian immigrants, but most immigrants, they're like they were bred in a culture that was really deep for them that they just kind of learned through osmosis like everybody around them did exactly the same thing and then they come to america where there's not a community of structure that just breeds that into their children and then their children are watching tv and learning about american bootstrap independence and individualism and freedom and all of this stuff and they they don't even know that their kids are being influenced in this way so they're trying to raise their kids the way they expected to be raised in wherever their homeland was 
and then they they find out they basically got a kid who's like trying to figure out both worlds and we call that a third culture child is somebody who like parents has one culture but they grew up in a different culture and then they had to make a blend of their own um so specifically for me as an asian american what that looks like is that the, there's definitely like the immigrant work ethic where you come to the the land of the dream right where you have to work hard and you have to to reach some kind of goal and then for at least my subculture of Asian Americans that grew up in the Bay Area of California, um, what that looked like was you had to go to a good school, you had to do well, you had to go get a great job somewhere in the STEM field, right? Something that was like financially stable. And then what you turn around with is actually, then with that stability, you support your family. Because in Asian cultures, your elders are the most important people in the family and they raised you so in gratitude you're supposed to take care of them as they grow older and especially some cultures that's where like your grandparents stay in your house with you and it really depends on how the family is composed my dad was the oldest son so my grandma lived with us when i was little and that expectation is like so ingrained in them that they they try to pass it on to their kids. My mom would talk to me all the time. She was like, we're sending you to college because you're our retirement plan. And that is vastly different from what I see as a typical experience in America where American parents may not even support their children financially. You turn 18, you're out the door, you gotta figure it out yourself. And that was not the case for me. There are similarities and differences there with just what I'll say, my experience. Like, so my, my family is from here. And um, I mean, they, they didn't start out here, but we're here, you know? So uh, <laughs> we we came from somewhere else, but it's so, we're so far removed from it that like the culture that we have is the culture that we've, we've adapted here. Yep. But growing up in a Black American household and from my my own experience, there were two things that took place that were like so crazy to me, which was like, one, there was an expectation placed on you. Like you gotta go to school, you gotta get a good job. You have to do all these things. But for me, like no one, no one saved any money for me to go to school, but they expected me to go to school and they expected me to like choose a high achieving career and a high achieving total, but they expected me to bear the financial responsibility of it. And then there was also, um, there was another expectation, like you have to not only do well and exceed and excel in all these different things, but like, I'm not gonna tell you how to do it. Just go do it. <laughs> you gotta go figure it out yourself. Go figure it, go do it. And like, we'll be proud of you when you do it. And if you don't do it, we're gonna be disappointed. Even oh. though we didn't tell you how to do it. Oh. And so like, there's a, a communication, there's an issue with communication now as an adult, when I try to like have conversations about things mm -hmm. like this, where I'm like, hey, you know, you had these expectations, but you kind of didn't give me, you know, like when you go to work, I, I love using this with my dad. Like you go to work, there's you, you start a new job, there's an orientation. And there's a whole like rollout packet of what this employer's expectations of you are. And then there's a list of tools that they're going to provide in order for you to meet these expectations. And if you yeah. don't, there's consequences and that's, you know, you lose your job. So you rolled out this large, <laughs> grand scroll of expectations, but you did not tell me how to get there. You just said, go do it. <laughs> and then when I was like, I'm not doing that, you're like, black sheep. So, um, 
there's there's that aspect of it like there's there are a lot of american families that i feel like now and there and there's this is again my experience there's people that parents put away money for college obviously or you know they help their kids do whatever to go and um then there's people who just say hey kid i expect you to do well bye and you're like what's that look like um but I was saying all that to say, like, there are a lot of, like, similarities in in that because, like, your families do, when they come from a different um, time, they do expect you to kind of do well in a certain regard. That way you can circle back around to them. So in my family, the expectation of taking care of elders is there as well. So, like, my grandma took care of her mom. My aunt took care of my grandparents, you know, like, and so on and so on. So, like my parents with me being the oldest expect me to take care of them yep. and the mindset i have is like oh <laughs> wait this was this wasn't part of the social contract or, or <laughs> and i've 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 had um i've met other asian americans who like get get that expectation sprung on them like i actually i worked with an i was like in an internship program where um like me her, her parents helped her through college um though i will say first of all we didn't know that there was such a thing as getting a loan for college like that's not in our vernacular so that like wasn't an option provided to me specifically because i actually if i could have not been financially dependent on my parents i would have but i didn't know that that was available to me but this um this coworker i had she got her offer letter for her full-time job and then her mom was like, 50% of that is mine. Every paycheck, 50%. And this is in the California Bay area where you cannot live on 50% of the paycheck they offered us. So like that was like, at least my mom was telling me as I was growing up, hey, you're gonna have to come back around. She didn't have a clue that her mom was gonna ask this of her. Oh man, I think I would cry. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would cry, I would run away. <laughs> but yeah, those, those expectations, so I guess like, how do you navigate that then with how do you navigate through those cultural differences with your yeah. family like that that way of thinking like being like a part of their like fiber at this point and <laughs> yeah i've i've learned this like this is really the reality of being like the child of immigrants is that we tend to like mature faster we grow up a little bit faster because first of all like if i want to go on a field trip and i'm in first grade my mom's not going to read the whole explanation of what the hell my field trip is that's a foreign language to her and she's coming back from a full day of work so she's not going to try to figure that out so as a kid i had to learn that i had to educate my parents on things of like hey here's what i need from you and here's what it's gonna look like and that's just progressed through as like in my adult life and like we all wish that this wasn't the case that we could like that our parents would act like we expect parents to be like the, the like image of parenthood that we like media gave us or something we wish we could be the child in the family but reality is that i am parenting my own parents i'm still feeling like i want to be the child but my parents grew up in a culture that doesn't talk about feelings. They don't say I love you. They don't cry. All of this is weakness. Like they, you don't tell other people about your weaknesses and not even within your own family, you don't tell about like your siblings weakness to your other, like that doesn't happen. So there's no conversation about vulnerability and actually went home recently because my grandmother passed away. And that was a huge eye opener in terms of like how they handle grief. And there were some conversations, but there was a lot of like, I had to educate my mom. She was like, I've only had two examples of how Americans 
handle like funeral ceremonies and she kept calling a wake a party because first of all english not so great <laughs> second of all she did see it as a party that like the gathering of people and bringing food in like more of a potluck setting which is like in my head my explanation for that is like yeah when people like are grieving they don't always have the capability to feed themselves and in Asian culture, that's not a thing. You don't bring food to the griever. Like, and I was watching, this was my, my grandmother on my dad's side. So I was watching my mom basically expect us to still function like a regular household with like doing chores and our own responsibilities the same way that we would have before without any allowance for that grief. Because emotions aren't like a thing you talk about. And if you provide allowances for it, that's almost the same thing as talking about it. It's an ongoing struggle and it's something where I have to remind myself when I go home that like nobody taught them any better. They didn't have Psych 101 or child developmental psychology, didn't grow up in an era where you talked about your feelings or had like these growth mindset conversations about how strong being vulnerable really is. So I have to teach them things like how to provide positive reinforcement because their version of supporting me is by finding opportunities for improvement <laughs> that is the best way they know how to support me is if i reach a certain level like i went uh, like i think this was five years ago i was learning to do makeup i went home and i did my makeup and then my mom was like oh great you did your makeup now you just got to fix your eyebrows <laughs> oh no so like there's no version of like let's pause and celebrate i didn't celebrate when i got a ninety-two thousand dollars scholarship nobody that was like oh that's a piece of paper great file that away keep going it's something where i have to brace myself and set some boundaries and tell myself like this is the way it's going to be because like my my separate life from them is a lot more of like non-toxic healthy supportive and i have to remind myself what i'm going into and then do my best to show them how i want them to behave and reinforce that for them over and over again i i can relate to that with you the boundary setting and the being firm in your boundaries and then the conversations when your boundaries get steamrolled like you know it's like oh my okay yeah, yeah. I, I, I've started threatening because like money is such a big deal. Like there's no like don't spend money if you don't have to. But I basically started threatening of like, I'm going to go get a hotel room. Like y'all are too much. I'm going to go spend like $200 a night to be away from you guys. That's how important it is for me to like not deal with your shit. <laughs> we, I, I have, okay. So I have those reminders that I do. Like they're doing the best they can with what they were given. Yeah. That's like the favorite thing that I have to remind myself. And then I also have to be like, okay, I only can do this for a couple hours at a time. And then, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I plan my trips no more than five days. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah, like, mine is like, yeah, we're gonna. And then I don't wanna see you for a little while. I love you, yeah. but I just don't wanna see you for a little while because that's a lot. So I was gonna ask you what strategies you use to kind of bridge those gaps, but it sounds like we're doing the same thing. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I will say that quite honestly, um, and I was posting about this a lot during the holidays. I was like, y'all, it's okay to throw a tantrum. Like, I know we're all like in this like healthy communication lifestyle. My parents don't give a shit about healthy communication. That, that means nothing to them. Just because you said it respectfully or in these long sentences, which again, they're in English, so that's a foreign language, a stupid thing to do. Um, like, like hits home for them that it's something important to me. 
if I legit throw a tantrum and stomp my feet on the floor and yell and cry. <laughs> like, that's how they know something's important to me. So it's funny because like I have um, the boundaries conversation. My dad is actually easier to talk to my mom. My mom is like just stuck. So it's like just, it is what it is. But I'm having like the boundaries conversations and the importance of boundaries and what all this means and the cause and effect. Then my dad uh, signed up to read my blogs. So he's trying. <laughs> and I even noticed that when we talk, he, I know it's effort, so like, I'm not gonna give him too hard of a time, but sometimes I feel like it's just regurgitated things that he may have heard me say or that he read. And so like, I'm like, maybe he's learning or maybe he's just like, this is how, I, this is my new way of trying to like communicate with her so that it works. But I could see like it kind of touching him a little bit. My mom is just like, I'm your mom. <laughs> These are the rules, that's it. You can't change I'm your mom. And I'm like, okay, it, it is what it is. Okay, so I always talk about on this show how like everyone, like regardless of our background, regardless of where we came from, regardless of all this, like we all started on the same playing field. Like we were all born and we all knew nothing. And then everybody in our life started putting their something in us. So like the reason for me having all these kind of conversations is to kind of like help kind of rewire the programming and get everybody back to that because I'm like like the beginning like reestablishing foundation is kind of how we like make things better in the world like like learning to understand each other learning that we're all like a lot in the same like there's a lot of stuff that you were saying where I was like girl I feel you like Honey, I feel you. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> like, I'm going through too. Been there, done that. Yeah. It's really dope to have conversations like this and to be having this conversation with you. Because it's like, I mean, because of all the, you know, the programming that we receive in our households and in our own communities. Like, we live in America. We live in this melting pot of people. But we kind of even knowing that and knowing that we have the opportunities to reach out and talk to other people and see what their experiences are, share our experiences, get to know each other and bond in that way. We still like without even realizing kind of like deviate to yeah. the people that we, you know, like that. Yeah, like, what that are, like comfortable. That feel. Yeah. And it's like if we continue to do that, like we're never going to be able to get to that space and i think like right now i know like we're in this because of the internet and because of like all the feel good stuff we're in this kind of i don't even want to say like cliche but i do think there's like an over of abundance and i don't want to like say it's a bad thing either but it's just like there's an abundance mm. of this kind of talk and uh mm. like positive mindset switching mindset talk do this do that and yes. i know it can get overwhelming at times but i just kind of wanted to like point those kind of things out because i do think it's pretty dope and i do think it's like necessary and i do think like the older generation like one one day we're gonna have to say bye to them it's like important for us to make a decision like are we gonna carry that torch you know to the next generation or are we gonna say like hey yeah i did learn these things you know and some of these things were really really good and you know, I love them and appreciate them and gonna miss the people that, you know, instilled those things in me. But like, here's some, in, like you said, improvements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually, I had a colleague, he's got his own kids now, but he brought his kids back to India with him. And I think it was his mom he mentioned, like basically his parents like were Asian parents, like typical and kind of toxic and a little like raise their voice and stuff like that. And the way he said his kids eyes just bugged out when they saw that like their grandma was being all mean to their dad and not being like, like the, the parenting style was so different from how they were experiencing what parenting was within their household. It was like so vast that when you're in the middle of that, of like, hey, I want to change, like, 
yes, I deal with my parents this way because they don't know any better and if and I want to have a relationship with them, right? Like, I, yeah, technically you have an option. You could just go no contact. It becomes a conversation once you have kids and they're observing that. You have to be like, hey, that's like the way their generation was. They're most likely not going to change or even if they do, they're still not going to be the same as what you would want the future to be but we're moving forward and even though you can see this as like you might be able to internalize oh this is how my family is or it's in my blood this way that we're trying to do something different and we're being intentional about it and that's what i love about like talking to parents in our generation is that they're all very intentional about it they're all thinking about this kind of stuff and there's no way that my parents had any in thought about how to raise us because i watched my older brother like got the short end of the stick of like they tried to follow the, the strict asian version and usually the oldest kid doesn't especially in an immigrant family it it's really hard for them and it really didn't work so it's an interesting conversation to be like yeah we're gonna have to deal but then the multi-generational aspect is then we got to talk about it and may not talk to our parents about it but we got to talk to our kids about it i talk to my kids a lot my kids talk a lot like <laughs> people like especially older people that they, they get sticker shock when they meet my kids especially like my four-year-old because he just he tells it like it is he'll he asks questions he mm. <laughs> you know we we do we, there's so many different things like give me space like yeah that's unheard of but like why why would he say that like if he you have to ask him for a hug don't just hug him yes Please ask him for permission absolutely he's a kid he's a person ask him for ask yeah. him for permission and if <laughs> he like, wants a hug he'll hug you and if he I'm, doesn't he won't and he'll let you know <laughs> i'm just like my reaction if my like parents were like that i would be like this is how you get pedophiles so you like need like i have to tell them very explicitly like this is why we do this because like that's they're not even watching american television anymore like everything's in chinese to them like my mom's reading novels in Chinese all of the like, so now that they're both retired right they used to be they were a lot more exposed to American culture but now that they're retired they get to be so insulated I love that like you're teaching the people around you about like asking for consent even from kids and also that like the fact that your kids are talkative right because I think in my parents generation it was always kids are meant to be seen and not heard and I think that's fairly universal and now we know like especially with our our female kids that's not good for them that this is how you like create a victim so the fact that like your kids are so talkative I, I hope they keep that because like we usually get that train out of us whether or not it's our family it's your school do it too so oh they're not gonna stop my two-year-old speaks like complete sentences like <laughs> he's already there he'll he'll say like oh i went out um i had like a mom's weekend and i went mm -hmm. out like a couple weekends ago and i came home and i was like what happened why well, i was gone what'd you guys do with dad they told everything like <laughs> <laughs> it was like I remember first grade, I, I started a diary. It was like very like factual line item down the days. <laughs> and because, like, you know, like kids are so innocent and so raw, like there, there's no discernment. There's nothing there. It's no. Like, it is what it is. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I was like, so yeah, they told me they ate a bunch of candy. They told me like all the games they played, all the TV shows they watched, that they stayed up late. Like they were like, they, they were trying to wait for me to get home, but I didn't come and they finally fell asleep. Like they just told me everything. And I was like, oh, okay, 
I was like, all right, well, that makes me feel good though, because like, you know, stranger danger, like what if something, you yeah. know, like they'll, like mom, they'll tell me and they'll know like these things aren't okay or these aren't right, these aren't normal behaviors. So yeah, I'm very intentional with how I am with them and how I allow other people to be with them as well. But again, there's still that pushback with those older generations because they just don't understand it. That I, I very much, I think, yeah, you were right. Like a child is to be seen and not heard is a universal, it's a universal staple. Like, and then it's like, but hey, guess what? This is like something that I try to explain. Stay in a child's place, that mentality. Stay in a child's place. I'm like, so if you want a child to remain in a child's place, but that child grows and grows and grows. And, and, and then he wanted to like socialize and get and, a job and a spouse and like, nah. And be <laughs> successful at that. When, when, what, oh, how, how is Where's that? Where's the practice? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there's, it, that, it doesn't work like that. Oh my gosh, it just, it doesn't. Every, like, this is what's so crazy about this. Like, I always, like, go in, like, oh, I'm going to ask a question. And we've discussed the question. <laughs> so then, then it's like, oh, okay, so we discussed the question. So this is um something that I was, like, thinking about because I remember in our pre-interview, you know, like, we had a vibe and we were talking about all these different things. And I was just, like, I know, like, being a minority woman in America that you're probably subjected to just as many stereotypes as I am. So kind of moving into another topic of discussion, yeah. I would kind of like to tackle some misconceptions and some stereotypes that you experience. Like, what's yeah. that like for you? Yeah, I think the main thing, and like, this was very interesting to me that in high school I learned, um, I my high school was like 80% Asian and um, extremely like academically oriented, competitive, toxic as hell. And one of my classmates, or where were childhood friends from like fourth grade she's white and she moved into the neighborhood in fourth grade and her mom was like watching all of what was going on with our kids and their culture she said things like oh i couldn't get you guys to come to play dates i had to call it a study date in order for y'all to come and hang out with my daughter like that's that's the only way like i i promise you i would not have friends if it was not for mariah's mom okay like this is <laughs> That, that is how that works because like I used to have a friend in like kindergarten and I was like I loved the phone I loved to call her on the phone so I'd go home like do my homework or whatever and then I wanted to call her her mom started screening my calls and just would not let me talk to my friends so like the parent dynamic is like you don't go out you stay at home and you study thank god for the internet because there was no way I would have any kind of relationships with anybody uh like throughout high school and this mom Mariah's mom actually actually brought in an organization from Stanford. At the time, it was called Stressed Out Students, SOS. Oh no. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, in my head, I also, like I, it's the acronym SOS. And in my head, what I really hear is save our students because that's what we needed. We needed saving. <laughs> like, we needed some terrible rescuing. Now they're called challenge success, which I think is a little bit more like neutral and more indicative of what they're really trying to do because it's the concept of like the, the normal version of success and like what you need to like define it for yourself. But this organization came in and they showed a, a, a documentary. It's called Finding Grace Lee. And that is the first time I learned what it, the phrase model minority. Asian Americans are the model minority, and we are the minority that white people hold up to other minorities to shame the other minorities because they want everybody to be docile and quiet and not complain, not kick up a fuss, be like super supportive of the economy, be hyper intelligent, but not be the boss. Like these are all like behaviors that they want to see. So we get 
lauded as the like the smart ones and we get that halo of like you're nerds but you're like inherently smart just because you're asian not because you put in the work and that's the fact you put in the work because i've had classmates and my brother is one of them that like no matter how hard they try they can't like they they don't succeed in the way the school system is designed or they're just not built that way but because most of our parents tell us that like we're, we're learning forward we have to do it and they in, in fact they remove all obstacles from learning you don't have to do your chores as long as you're studying you're, you're not allowed to have a car there's no parties there's no alcohol in the house not like there's no distractions my dad he's a he's a computer geek um when we had internet, my dad would block the IP on my computer. I only had internet for two hours a day on school nights. And that is how, like, that's what it takes to be, like, that version of an Asian. That's, it's got nothing to do with genetics. It's all about, like, the cultural imperative. That it's like a live or die situation. And it really feels that way to us, that we have no choice. And, like, I honestly, I, I take advantage of it as a model minority of, like, People assume I'm smart. Okay, I I like basically have to do like one smart thing, and then everybody's like, "Oh, yeah, confirmed." And then I I just coast on it because I can mess up and nobody cares. <laughs> so I will take advantage of it. Like, why? Like, if you have like a disadvantage, why not use the positive side of it? That that is the bonus side, but it's a part of being the model minority is also that expectation that we assimilate to whatever the white expectation is. That was most of my early corporate career not knowingly, just kind of like, oh, in the business world, you have to do X, Y, Z, or you have to act a certain way. And some of that includes like, yeah, Asians don't express emotions, but in America, especially if you're female, you have to be a cheerleader. One of the versions of assimilating was like, I was expected to be emotive, that I, I had to like have a, a dramatic reaction to everything. And the only way I realized that this was something that was happening, because it's exhausting for me. Like, this is not how I grew up. You don't really react to shit. Like, you're like, okay, cool, you move on. I realized that that was something that I had taken on to myself as like a version of code switching when my white male roommate, like same situations where I would have been expected to provide a reaction, he never gives me jack shit. And I'm like, yo, how come I had to be trained that I had to say something to be like either supportive or like we're, we're both trained on like active listening. So it's not that, it's that like big reactions or like surprise or whatever, like he doesn't have to provide them. And I'm like, well, if you don't have to do it, why the hell have I been wasting my energy doing this? Like it's, it's something that you wouldn't think is like that falls into that category of because I am like Asian American female that like it it's been a struggle for me. Like it's not something that gets called out when you think about like stereotypes of like an Asian American woman is like secretly a ninja and has karate skills and is super smart and elegant and all these things. That it doesn't come with the the rule book of like, yeah, you're supposed to be super elegant and sleek and sexy and all this stuff, and you gotta act like a white girl. And I guess it's like that version of like, I think it applies to most minorities of like, you gotta be everything. You gotta do everything better. You gotta like, and, and for me, it was like, oh, it wasn't good enough that I actually fit into like most of that stereotype. I also had to be like something else that like no one ever signed me up for. I just found out during college that like, I can't make friends unless I do that. There's a lot of, um, 
pressure like i didn't okay so the code switching thing i just i know what it is but i never heard it like um, i guess like yeah. phrased that way and i watched a video about it like a few like maybe a few weeks ago where i learned the term mm. and i was like oh my gosh i have to water it down i can't be as animated i cannot be because it'll be like it's viewed automatically as like aggression yeah and other people yes. is passion right it's anger you know like yeah. it's um yeah can you like the way that i that i speak and i i was talking to my husband about this i was like i'm gonna talk about code switching in this episode and then i have another episode that i want to like discuss like the entire episode mm. i was like that whole my whole life too is like um me and my friends call it the customer service voice. Oh, yes. Like, you call and it's like, hey, girl, what's up? Whether you're going like, hi, this is Julie. You know, like, it's like the, how you have to, to make other people be comfortable with yes. who I am. I have to switch out and become like a more watered down version of me so you can be okay. And I'm like, why haven't we really addressed the bullshit? Like, that is exactly what that is. Like, I don't see other people having to do that. Like, I, I don't see it at all. Minorities constantly have to, like, we're big, we're beautiful, we're bright. Like, and it's obvious because everybody copies everything that minorities mm -hmm. do. Absolutely. They take our cultures, they take our food, they, you know, like, there's, there's so many things that, like, we do and everybody borrows from it and enjoys it. But when you're standing in front of that, it's like, I'm gonna need you to pipe down a little bit so I can be okay with you. And it's, it's very frustrating. It's very yeah. frustrating it's and, like, and no one calls it out. And the thing is like, they, it's cause they put pretty words around it. I actually was on, a, I was on a dating app and somebody was like telling me in nice words that he would not respect my pronouns. And then he was like, but I still want to be friends. And I was like, that's not a friend. If you don't respect my pronouns, you ain't a friend. Get the hell out of here. And he's like, I was being respectful. I was like, bitch, no, you ain't. You might've talked pretty, but you ain't. That's, that's what I feel is that like, because there's a version of the way to say something negative that like, like you know it was an insult, you know it was a put down, but like other people be like, oh, you should have interpreted it in like the best positive light. Nah, nah, -uh. we know what happened there. Right. And, <laughs> and it's, what they're really saying is like, I want you to be less you, or I want you to lower your standards for me. Like when you're a minority, you don't always have a choice because you gotta be, like you gotta be involved in like the economy and in the system and like we make the best of it by going into our own like subcultures and allowing ourselves to be as much as we want to be in those groups. And it's like that's where we like it's like when you get home and you like unstab your bra, you're like ah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, and yeah, I, it's just it's frustrating. Ah. Uh my oh gosh i okay so i don't get out much obviously i have a two-year-old and four-year-old so life mm. is like so i had a night and i mean a night that i probably okay i'm 38 so nights like this are like in the rear view but i had a night a couple weeks ago because it's my best friend's birthday <laughs> and I literally wrote a blog about it at the end of at the end of my night because I was like, well, one, I haven't got out in a long time. And two, it was the first time in a long time, like I was in a room full of people and it was okay for me to just be me. And everybody in the room was being them and like how free and rewarding that was and how yes. much fun we had. Just like, yeah, we were a little drunk. <laughs> that that made it fun too, but like, uh, 
it was just such a good time, like, not to be, because, like, I live in, you know, mom mode, school mode, wife mode, you know, I, I run my business here, and I do all these different things, and it's constant, you gotta do this, and you gotta do that, and you're all these different directions, so... I feel like right now I live in a space where it's constantly I'm in one end of the code mm. because I have to be a part of society in a way that they'll accept me so that I can make money. Yep. And it's like <clears throat> that that night, just having that night, it was like, yeah, like that unsnap your bra ah. moment. Because <laughs> lightweight, I think I should have been a stand-up comedian. Like, and I still might give it a try one day. So I think I put on a comedy show, like we laughed, we joked, Ooh. we ate. It was like a real, it was a good, it was a good time. But I'm just like, what if in my mind that's always going? What yeah. if like everybody could live in these kind of moments yes. and in these kind of spaces and be like this all of the time? Like, yes. what if people just, and I think that's what it, it like boils down to is people understanding and learning how to be just okay with who they are. Cause if you're, if you're living and you're your true authentic self and you're happy with who you are, then you won't care about someone else making that choice or not. You won't place the expectations on someone else to choose something to make you feel comfortable because you're comfortable with who you are. And like, I really wish society would just like get there. And I know it might not happen while I'm here, but I really wish they would just get there. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely the world I want to help build. Yeah. And I mean, I think having these conversations is a big part of it, especially in a way that like, a lot of my white coworkers subscribe to my podcast and like they this that's their first exposure to anything like them talking to me and asking me things about being Chinese is like their first chance to ever like find these things out that to me like having grown up in an Asian community we're just like that's just the way it is like you automatically know XYZ about how we do things like taking your shoes off when you come in the house or how to use chopsticks no we all had to learn how to use chopsticks that's a lot <laughs> but like things like that like they didn't get that chance. And I take that for granted because I was in the Bay Area, but like, this is why it's so important for us to have like a platform to, to provide at least like an introductory exposure to, to open up the door to in-person conversations with strangers to, to make that happen. And I would love for everybody to be in a place where they could be their own authentic self. And I like, I'm, I don't actually expect it to happen because of the way like, we, we teach like military style or in schools where you gotta like conform so that you can make like to teach easily and especially when you're I have a lot of teacher friends and my mom was a teacher uh one adult to 35 kids like it's not the expectation we put on our kids and so and then we never like we we tell them to conform and then we never teach them how to find themselves and like maybe if we we had a way to do that towards the end of their teen years of like this is how you figure out your authentic self or this is how you continue to do that as you get older or as you develop new passions that we would be there but then we're dealing with public school system again so yeah <laughs> i had to find a school for my son that was like i was terrified putting him in school because I was like, I know what school was like for me and it can't be any better these days. And I was just like, oh man, I found the perfect school. It's so small though, but it's like, because it's so small, yes. it's perfect. Like the teachers, I feel like it's in the twilight zone. Like I feel like there, it's a world within a world now. Like at first I was like that, that, that negative self-talk. I was like, oh, the school's gonna be too small. He's not gonna get this, he's not gonna get that. And then like, as he kept going through the experience, I was like, no, all the things that I was looking for, 
he actually found here he's excited he's happy his school experience is good but there's only like 12 kids in the class there's there's two teachers and a teacher assistant you know like there's all these different things yes. going on you know like the teachers actually communicate with me and i communicate with them and everybody knows everybody and all the parents are yes. you know like so it's like i i like that community for him because i was like i got a lot of homeschool well i know two people that homeschool like personally and then yeah. i met people i live by a park i met a lot of people over there doing homeschool in the summer like when it warms up around here because we're in michigan it's cold all the time mm, yeah so like when it's warm i see people like when we're out and they're doing homeschool in the pavilions and then they let their kids play yes. and like, mom's doing stuff together and i'm like i wish i had the bandwidth to do that i kind mm. of told myself i might do it and i was like i don't know like let's be real <laughs> like I, that's a little overwhelming for me i gotta be honest with myself about my strengths and my weaknesses. But it sounds like you you would have a community of people who've been there that could maybe like help you along the way. But I'm not like you're, you're clearly your son's in a good spot, so don't like yeah. don't mess with no, him. No, no, like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. It's not broke. I'm not trying to fix it. Like yep. it's good. He goes. They don't sit at a desk all day. They get up. They move around. Like all these things. Because I remember like school feeling like a prison. Yeah. Like, and I, I just when I got old enough to be like, oh, I don't gotta go. Like. I would leave. And yeah, then you, when you have options. No, yeah. I actually, I have to say it was the opposite for me. Home was a prison. School was where I got to see my friends and socialize. And <laughs> at least we had recess. <laughs> <laughs> at least we had recess. Dang. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, it's, there's so much, like, I, like, there's so much programming just going into society that's just not good like when you think about the things that really make good humans like it's like are you empathy and compassion and social skills and you know all these different things that a lot of us are adapting later in life and trying to yep. push back like yeah i hope i hope that we create enough of us like the, the gang that's doing this now like i hope we build like a whole bunch of us and then they can just keep sending people out to do the same thing and eventually like this could be like a pretty dope place to live. Yeah. So, so I have to ask you the question, the, the, that question. And that question is, can you define selective hearing for yourself? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I think for me, it's like when you have expectations of how something's supposed to go or how you're used to a relationship going down, like there's, there's a version of the world where like, yeah, like there's sometimes my, like, I, I'm also starting to theorize that my my mom and my brother are like slightly autistic. So they're like extremely blunt and honest or they'll say stupid things. And because I grew up always taking that negatively, I, I still react that way. And what I really want is to just be able to like turn that on its head and like somehow make it a positive or react in a way that like turns it into a joke and like is a little bit more like able to communicate how what they said hurt me if it did like because the way I react now they, they they in their brains it's completely separate they'll do something that frustrates me and then I act frustrated and then they tell me I'm a bad daughter <laughs> and like it's a vicious circle <laughs> and and to me like the the space that I control would be if I could stop putting that expectation on them and myself of like how this this like narrative typically plays out like we're, we're like stuck in a script that keep, like we keep reenacting and I, I wish that or I, I am going to practice doing better in terms of how I handle that but that's what I really like 
that's my version of selective hearing is that when you're you're so used to a certain like narrative that you you perpetuate it yourself it's a pattern that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and i love hearing other people's perspectives and in like in my internet world that's a lot more easy to do especially because like you can pause before you send a message you can edit it you can talk to other people like but in real life when i'm with my family especially like the the trauma that like and the reactions that are in my body are a lot harder to reprogram that's why you gotta get a room at the hotel when yes, you go no <laughs> i do <laughs> you like you know i'm gonna stay you gotta that's what that's how you uh reaffirm your boundaries and let them know you mean business like i'm coming for five days but i'm only staying with you for two and see what happens. They might go off, but <laughs> you might you might get you might get to where you need to be. That it's harder. Someone told me, um, one of my coaches or somebody, I've been through some programs. Someone told me though that was in that world that um we're more likely to like not be able to. That's like the hardest area to control our emotional responses and our reactions. Yeah is with our loved ones, our parents, our spouses, you know? Yeah. So um, a thing that worked for me or that is working for me, I'm a work in progress. Cause like my parents, it's easy to turn down the volume, but I'm married too. So like my husband, I'd be like, what you want to do? Like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it's, um, I'm learning like emphasis on learning how to like try to step back and just be like, you know? This is when I go into a situation, this is the one that's going to trigger the most because it's the people I love the most and the people that are the most important in my life. So knowing that, like, I only can control me. What am I going to do? They might. What am I going to do? What are you going to do, Julie? Don't do what you're used to doing. And like, that's kind of like the little pep talk, little game day talk I give myself in certain situations. It's it works, you know, sometimes. <laughs> I, I find it's like very specific things of like in this like when they say X this is how you're going to respond like I can do it one at a time but it's not like a sweeping like oh here's a like suddenly I'm acting like I do with all my like other friends at home it doesn't turn on like that I have to be very specific please let the audience know how they can connect you with you where's your podcast so they can listen to you so that they can learn more your social media, all that good stuff. Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram at tj.wey. And then the podcast is called the Asian Detox Podcast. You can find it on your favorite podcast app. And the podcast also has its own Instagram. That's where like most of the news pops up. And my VA puts a lot of very um, self-care oriented motivational pieces. And that, that can be found at Asian underscore detox. Okay. And all of that information, as I tell you, every single week will be listed in the summary of this episode, as well as on the drop-down labels in my on my website. And I will always post this information on my social media as well. So just look for the link and click the link. And um, I'm going to keep announcing this until you guys actually like, subscribe, and follow all selective hearing things can be found on YouTube now at selective hearing, or you can just type in Julie DeMar. Either way, you will find me. So I will be back next week with another guest. I hope that you enjoyed this beautiful conversation with me and TJ. TJ, thank you so much for being here. And everyone, until next week, this is Selective Hearing.